It's Wednesday, February 28th, 2024, and I'm Dave Sobel. Welcome to the Business of Tech Lounge, our opportunity to get live, have a conversation, and cover some important stories. Today on the show, a listener pushes back on the meaning of breach, and I talk to security expert Matt Lee to understand more. We dive into customer needs with Tom Kehu. What is M&A Nation and what's the story with Abe Garver from Focus Investments and a preview of my interview with Elliot Holland on how you can buy a company with no money down. But first, our top story. Yesterday, Synchro announced their new CEO, Michael George. George, with extensive experience in the technology industry, will lead Synchro's next phase of innovation and growth for its MSP platform. He previously served as CEO of Invicti Security and Continuum, where he drove significant growth and championed AI and automation initiatives. Continuum was sold to ConnectWise. Now, why do we care? Embedded in the press release is data to size the company. 1,400 employees, over 6,800 MSPs, and 1.4 million endpoints. Now, if you remember, Ninja One just completed its Series C round and announced more than 17,000 customers. Atera's website is claiming 12,000 with 4.2 million endpoints. Enable cites 25,000 MSPs and 8 million endpoints. And Kaseya cites 40,000 customers and 300 million devices. That gives us some additional perspectives on size of some of these platform players. Now, when Emily Glass stepped down last week, the press release specifically said they were conducting a CEO search. Well, that didn't take long, indicating this switch was already in the works. That's the first insight. Now, secondly, they're looking to drive growth to a much larger number and pulling in a recognized name as leader to do it again. That's what George is back to do. He's done this before, having grown Continuum and then sold it into ConnectWise through that Tama Bravo in integration and acquisition. That's what this is all about. Their board and investors are looking to grow this to the next level, decided that they needed a new direction and took it as such. Now, for those who always focus on this, let me tell you a couple of things that I think are important. First, we don't worry about leadership changes until they start making changes. Michael George is a known quantity, so we should expect some of the same. And additionally, if you're concerned about a change in leadership, this is your opportunity to watch and start your research and start thinking about what your next steps might be. I don't think it's time to worry yet, but it's a direction that we know that they can take and a playbook we've seen before. Now, next up, I want to talk a little bit about what is a breach. To give you some context, last week, I reported heavily on the ConnectWise Screen Connect exploit. The timeline, the issue was reported, determined to be severe, and over the course of last week, both had increasing coverage and increasing detail. What was a software vulnerability became reports of hackers inside customer networks. And on last Thursday's show, I called it a breach. And a commenter said I was wrong. The comment specifically, 
ConnectWise situation is an exploit slash vulnerability, not a breach. Humongous difference. Now, I think broadly, I use the term correctly as an English language word, but this question is spot on to differentiate. I thought a lot about this and said, well, what does constitute a breach? When does an exploit become a breach? Is a software vendor whose customers are access breached or just the customers breached? And the software vendor has an exploit and a vulnerability. I figured this was a great time to get some perspective. So I asked Matt Lee, Senior Director of Security and Compliance at PAX 8, what he thought. Dave, that's an awesome question, right? What constitutes a breach? So let's start with that. What constitutes a breach? When we talk about cybersecurity, it's the CIA triad. Confidentiality, integrity, and availability, right? Availability is, can I access it? Confidentiality is, hey, has this been accessed by somebody that's not me or that shouldn't have access to this? And then integrity is, has this data been changed or manipulated in some way? When we think about what is a breach, in my mind, a breach is when something confidential that is not supposed to be um, read by someone else uh, is read, right? So it's someone else accessing data or information they shouldn't have access to, therefore violating the C of the confidentiality aspect of the CIA triad. Next question you asked was, when does an exploit become a breach? Well, an exploit is somebody taking a vulnerability. So let's say a patch for Screen Connect that hasn't been applied taking that vulnerability and then exploiting that, which means someone has to take action. A threat actor, a, a threat is someone taking action upon a vulnerability to then use that as an exploit. Now, I might land somewhere where I have no sensitive data. That isn't a breach. It is a compromise of the system. It is definitely a break of the uh, integrity and confidentiality of accessing. But if there's no data that's sensitive or, or that, that, is, that is there, then it's not by itself a breach, right? It's something about breaching the C of the CIA triad. The next thing you ask is, is a software vendor whose customers are accessed, breached, or just the customers? Great question. If you have software that you have bought from some other company and you are installing it yourself in your environment and a vulnerability allows someone to exploit that and create access into that environment and breaches the confidentiality of the data therein, right? then that is that end customer that has been breached. It's the person that you hosted it for. If you're the one responsible for it, you're the one that has been compromised or breached. So at the end of the day, when you think about this, your end clients at the end of that would be the ones suffering that breach, but it would be caused at your hand. Uh, and potentially now it's part of your world if, if you haven't patched, right? But in the same breath, if that software vendor is hosting it for you and they're doing that, then they take on some of that. And what you're really talking about here, Dave, is the shared responsibility understanding of our world, right? That it's not purely me. I can't just be independent. There is some interdependency. And depending on what part, SaaS, platform services, or infrastructure service, or maybe actual infrastructure I own, will dictate where that responsibility ultimately falls. But typically, Dave, in your question, if somebody has a hosted environment and they're compromised, then that, that, that quote, breach of those customers is part of the vendor uh, or the person hosting it. Even if that's you as the MSP, I want to make sure you're putting on that, that hat and lens. Um, yeah, so hope that helps, Dave. Thanks. Those are my thoughts. Uh, it totally helps. And I will say, as I think about this, Matt's right to call out the differentiation here. And I think our commenter is spot on to call it out. I think broadly, I'm talking about the incident itself. It involves a lot of issues, probably slang and, and loosely it's a breach, but technically ConnectWise was not breached. ConnectWise's customers are being breached and that's a differentiate that's, that's important to note as we think about this. So I appreciated being called out on the specificity of my words and I welcome the feedback.
By the way, we are going to be taking questions. If you've got a question, don't forget to put it into the chat. We will be doing those specifically during our question session. But if you've got comments on some of the stuff we're talking about today, please feel free to join in. Now, next up, I want to revisit our interview. Over the weekend, my interview with Tom Kehu dropped in the podcast feed and on YouTube. And thank you to all you that watched and listened. By the way, it's a great time to remind you to both like and subscribe to the channel here and follow the podcast. And note that my Patreon supporters get my videos days before they're released publicly. In fact, that Tom video came out last Monday for those Patreon supporters. And the one I'll be talking about later is already in my Patreon feed. So I wanted to let you know you can get access to that. Now, I want to highlight a comment that Tom made when he asked, when I asked him what he wanted from MSPs. Your approach to this specific business. You can't paint with a broad brush on an MSP because so many different businesses are so different. When you want to come to work with a healthcare, you're going to get a loyal, very, very loyal. We don't like change in the healthcare. You're going to get a very loyal customer. But it's actually a challenge on you. You're going to have to be the one to keep that engagement always positive, always ongoing, and focus on the off hours rather more more than the, the on hours. We we Any MSP can tell me what they're going to do for making four. Tell me your team behind the scenes. Tell me what your overnight staff looks like. Tell me what your holiday looks like. And if the network goes down at 2 a.m. on Thanksgiving, tell me how you're going to solve that. That would be my idea. Don't tell me the daytime. Don't tell me all your fun money saving things. Tell me two o'clock on Thanksgiving. Hey. What I think is really insightful about what Tom's saying is the meta level about what above what he's saying. Now, Tom was very specific about the kinds of things that are important to him and his organization and highlighted that when talking to healthcare organizations, you want to make sure that you're talking about after hours support. What he's really saying there is to make sure you're listening to their specific requirements. There's oftentimes a real thought to make sure that you're standardizing all of your customer approach versus customizing each particular engagement. That's important. And you want to make sure that you, the MSP, operationally has done a really good job to standardize your backend offering. But at the same time, make sure you're listening to the customer pain points and making sure you're addressing them specifically. Because for different customers, different things are going to be important. He identified for his organization that one of the key areas is to make sure you're thinking about that after hours support. But by the way, that's not important for every single customer. And it's going to be important for you to think specifically about the requirements that are identified and make sure you are specifically addressing them in a way that is customized to those customers while at the same time standardizing your backend processes. Make sure that you don't let your standardization get in the way of delivering good customer service. And if you dig into that interview with Tom, he talks about how the, the issue that he had with his MSP was falling into that standardization where they'd lost the personal touch and engagement and customer service that he was really looking for. And that's the ultimately the area where I want you to make sure you get a takeaway from that interview. Listen deliberately to what those customers are looking for. Now, next up, 
want to talk a little bit about ConnectWise. ConnectWise announced last M&A Nation for March 4th through 6th in Tampa. Now, they announced it on February 22nd. Might have gotten a little lost in all of that Screen Connect discussion. The event is billed as tailored for those planning to transact within two to five years. I wanted to know a little bit more about what the objectives were, so I called up friend of the show, Abe Garver, from Focus to learn a little bit more. Abe, I got to ask a couple of questions about M&A Nation. So right. it was announced February 21st, and the event is March 4th through 6th. It's a short turnaround. Like, who are you trying to get to attend the event? Great question, Dave, and great, great to see you. Um, this one is, um, you know, kind of the brainchild of um, Arlen Sorensen, who runs IT Nation Evolves peer groups. And, you know, we've really identified a, a need for um, people to really start their runway um, sooner rather than later. So actually the target is kind of people that may not transact for even two to five years. And we just really want to help them kind of sooner rather than later see the big picture, meet all the um, kind of associated people and also get, you know, kind of what's worked, what hasn't feedback from their peers. So it's, it's just, pulling people in kind of early in the early in the journey. Now, with, with that kind of a short turnaround, it also feels like that's a natural way of saying, like, you've got to be at a certain size and maturity in order to respond that quickly. Is that a fair takeaway? And what what, what is the attendee size that makes sense? Well, I think there's just so many. There are so many MSPs and 100% of them are going to have a transition kind of ownership transition at some point in their life cycle um so there's like no you know overwhelming demand um for it so really stretching it out and giving an announcement and saying we're going to do this six months from now um you know kind of not necessarily not necessarily they're they're people that you know are um ready to do it i would also say for um it nation um and the peer groups, this is very, this is a very natural, like we have these same exact conversations, same exact uh, group of experts that at the quarterly meetings on Wednesday on community day um, have these same, you know, kind of same conversations, same topics over and over. So this is really um, like we've done this playbook, you know, over and over and over for people um but just we're really trying to appeal to a group that is it's, it's not something that's as um actionable gotcha now if you're looking to sell it isn't necessarily something you want to advertise broadly but attending a conference sends a pretty clear signal that you're exploring this how would you advise providers to navigate that tension right so this is very like i would say it's going to be um highly confidential like it is um it is a very you know very um kind of group that separated this is not out kind of like in you know your typical it nation connect um conference halls where you've got everybody walking around it's um you know in a you know kind of discrete discrete space and <clears throat> there won't be, you know, confidentiality will be incredibly high in the whole process. 
Gotcha. And you'll you'll be doing some sessions. What are you going to be focusing on on educating solution providers while they're attending? Um, so it's really neat. I will. <clears throat> I'm gonna um, gonna be one of the uh, three people myself, Arlen and um, Peter Kajawa, kicking off kind of. Uh, you know, we're calling it like who's in the zoo, like who are all the people, what's going on in the market. There's like from our chair, there's 160 uh, MSP buyers with a very strong conviction kind of on the buyer investor side. Um, and then various sizes of MSPs that are coming to market and kind of, um, so I'll just be giving big picture kind of what we're seeing in a, a market update. Um, Peter Kajawa has just come off um, some really neat bench benchmarking work to be able to comment globally, um, you know, globally and also in the U.S. kind of what's going on uh, from valuation and, and other perspectives. Um, and of course, Arlen just, you know, just, um, you know, kind of legend and has been there and been a go-giver helping everybody and so many people along the way. Um, and then from that, you know, from that top level high view, we're going to, um, we're going to do a dive into each of the, you know, each of the really important processes so that somebody that owns an MSP, like we want to plant seeds. This is a planting seed, um, you know, kind of two day, you know, kind of two day um, session to really help them steer them in the future to not kind of show up ready to sell and, you know, not be prepared. That's a great uh, set of insights. Abe, thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me, as always. I always enjoy speaking with Abe. Notable out of that was the release to come of some of that new service leadership data. We'll be looking for that to come out, and I expect to have Peter on the show to talk a little bit more about that. And I also wanted to note that one of the topics listed at the event is due diligence. Well, We'll be talking about due diligence in just a little bit. Now, I want to transition. We've already started getting questions. If you've got a question today, please go ahead and put it in the chat. I'm going to make sure that I address those. And let's dive into the first one today from Cody, who's asked, how does the ConnectWise vulnerability relate to the case with Accenture that I mentioned last week? Well, as a reminder for those that may have missed last week's show, one of the things that happened with Accenture is they were working to protect the Marriott Starwood brands, and during a breach and the customer data got out, then it was found that Marriott had a responsibility, or Accenture had a responsibility just to Starwood Marriott, but also to the end customer data. So what I think the way this relates is, is that will be a question about whether or not ConnectWise via the managed services partners also has a responsibility to end customers. That's the question that was set at that point. So it would be tested if a end customer ends up pushing back and saying that they there was an expectation of privacy to that, we'd see it be pushed out in the courts. I think it Cody, I think you bring up a, a larger point that our industry should be struggling with a little bit. And that larger point is the idea of how much responsibility does a software vendor have all the way through the life cycle for vulnerabilities? Is there a liability component that's opening up? I think we'll see that tested in courts over the next couple of years. And so how does it relate? Well, if an end customer ends up pushing on that, they could be leveraging that previous judgment with Accenture as the previous case law. We'll see, and we'll be tracking it. Thanks for the great question. 
I've also got a question that was sent in from a listener. Now, remember, you can send in questions at question at mspradio.com, and we'll cover them on the show. Let's go ahead and listen to that question from listener Steve. Steve, I saw some talk online about a new role as a chief AI officer. How can MSPs meet and create relationships with this type of person? And will they only be found at large corporations, large companies? Uh, do you think there's a market for fractional AI officers or fractional AI MSP practices? Oh, a juicy one. And in fact, I've said on the show that I do think that there's a market for fractional chief AI officers. In particular, I do think that there's a need for the responsibility of determining how AI is implemented in an organization. I think that's a valuable role, and I think that there are responsibilities that go around with it. And so as with most large organizations, that need still exists for smaller organizations, and that's where a fractional role makes a lot of sense. As I was thinking about this in preparation for this week, I'm going to note that Axios just started reporting on the fact that there may be an end to this role. And in fact, the thinking is, is that responsibility for AI needs to be pushed throughout the entire organization, and it may make less sense to do that through a dedicated role. This is why I love what we do as an industry, because there's more than one way to solve that. I'll be including that Axios article and further discussion on the regular daily news show to dig into it a little bit further and what the buzz is there, but I noted it in preparation for this question. Again, if you've got any questions, make sure to put them into chat, or if you missed this opportunity or catching on the replay, send it in at question at mspradio.com. We'll make sure that we answer all your questions every single week. Now, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up. With all the talk of M&A today, it's perfect timing for the interview releasing on the weekend. Elliot Holland is a Harvard Business School alum and the founder of Guardian Small Business Acquisition Services. With over 15 years experience, Elliot is a small business buying expert, and he's passionate about helping everyday business buyers close their first deal. Here's a preview of my upcoming interview with Elliot. One of the things you've really focused on is this idea of acquiring business with no money down of, their, of, of your own. Kind of, okay, that sounds fantastic, right? It sounds sure. like it'd be great to buy something. Walk me through kind of practically how that would look. Like, what do I need to do? Is it really no money down? Am I putting collateral down? Like, kind of give me a sense of how that actually works. Sure. And I'm not going to be this fake guy pitching a snake oil. So let me be very specific. You can absolutely do this, but not all deals that are done by independent folks are done this way. Sometimes you put 10% down, but you can put 0% down with other people's money. Here's what that looks like. So I'm, you and I have agreed to a sale price. And I know there's this SBA 7A program where they will put up 90% of the capital and I'm responsible for raising 10% of the capital, right? So that's 90% of it taken care of. So I only have this 10. Now, Elliot or Dave, where do I get the 10? Here's where you do it. Because this ecosystem of independent business buyers is getting so popular, there are dozens, 50, 100, lots of folks that love investing in these, what they call self-funded deals. The reason why is because it's very hard to get 90% debt on a business. 
And so since the SBA through the government is backing your 90 percent debt, it juices the equity return. So a bunch of equity investors are looking for these deals. So what you should do is start cultivating relationships, get on forums, LinkedIn, look for these folks. So you have a couple of people. And when you find that dream business like Dave, you say, hey, I don't really want to put this 10 percent up. I'm already going to put a personal guarantee through this loan and I'm going to go run this business. So I'm putting things up in lieu of cash. I would like you to put the 10 percent in. And for that, I'll give you a portion of the business. And the typical split is about 70 percent of the common equity goes to the entrepreneur buying the business. 30 percent goes to the equity investors to put in 10 percent. And the equity investors on top of their 30 percent, they get a preferred return. So each year that investment that they made ticks off like it was that and gives them a bit of a cash payment each year to give them some benefit for putting up all of the capital. I say, I like you like you keep saying how great my business is and everyone wants to buy it because it's always nice and flattering. Elliot's firm is Guardian Due Diligence, which helps companies through the process. Obviously, we've been talking about due diligence on the show, found it an interesting angle. We'll talk a little bit more next week, I'm sure, because Elliot has his approach is much more about leveraging other ways of finance versus that private equity line that we hear about so often on the show. This has been really great talking to you all. Reminder, if you've got any last minute questions, we're always happy to take them or send them in for next week at question at mspradio.com. If you'd like access to that Elliot interview with Elliot right away, it's available for my Patreon supporters right now at patreon.com slash MSP radio. We can make sure to follow, like, and subscribe to the show in all the ways that you can find us. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you.